If you're just joining us for the first time this morning, uh, we want to say, I just want to do, I, I do want to say a special welcome. You're very welcome to be here with us. We're really glad that you are. We're in the middle of a series called Your World Peace, and we're uh, looking at what Jesus said about how he said he was going to give peace, but not as the world gives, and, and what does that mean, and what are all of the ways that we can be anxious, what are all the ways that the world teaches us to try to deal with that anxiety, with those, with those feelings of fear, with anything that causes you to not feel at peace in your life. And then what is the, what is the, the way that is given to us by the Lord and, 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 and what does that mean for us? So that's what we've been exploring week after week. We have a few more weeks left in this series. Um, and so this morning we're going to talk about peace in an angry world. Let me ask you this today. Do you know how you are feeling right now? Like literally, do you know how you are feeling? Can you name the emotion that you are feeling right now? Some studies show that only 36% of people can name the emotion they're feeling at any given time. 36% of people. I hope you're in the 36. But can you name, in this room, guys, can, we name, can you name how you're feeling right now? Only 36% of you should. So there's nine people in the room. That's three of us. <laughs> three of us can name other. Matt, Matt wants to be, Matt's producing this morning. Matt and Walt, um, <laughs> some, studies, uh, some studies do show that, that literally only one in three people can identify their own emotions. Have you heard of this concept of emotional intelligence, or it's also known as EQ? Uh, it got very popular when Daniel Goleman wrote his book in 1995, uh, emotional, called emotional intelligence. It was on the cover of Time magazine. It became a very big idea and uh, gained a lot of popularity. You maybe have heard of it or seen that. But if you're new to this concept of EQ, it means being self-aware and also able to, so able to read your own emotions, but also able to understand and read the emotions of other people. And um, also wrapped up in this concept is um, managing yourself well, uh, finding a balance between your logical brain and your uh, emotional side. So it's, it's, it's kind of all of this idea. That's what um, EQ really means. And if only 30, uh, 36% of people can identify their own emotions, but studies have actually found that uh, EQ accounts for 58% of performance at your workplace. That math doesn't really work, does it? Uh, so, and people with a high EQ earn more than people with low EQ. Uh, according to studies. So that's a really interesting idea, isn't it? That somebody who understands that the, their emotions that they're feeling, how to regulate those, and also can see that and understand it in others, it, it, it affects their life in a really, really big ways. We got talking about this idea in my Connecting Point group because we were doing everything you need, the course that we have in our uh, next courses on our website, www.freedomkw.com slash next. Um, and you can, find that, you can find that there. Uh, we were doing this, and it's a study of uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. So we're unpacking these things, and we got talking about EQ, which you do, as you do uh, in your Zoom small group, obviously. Uh, and we, it, we got talking about it, and we just, you know, it was a really, really interesting concept. And one of my uh, group members, Angela, is an elementary school teacher. She's been teaching about this for a long time. She, uh, right now she teaches uh, older elementary age students, ESL, refugees. So there's like a very specific group of kids that she teaches. And so she, she works really hard with them and teaches them this idea of red brain, blue brain. So she was teaching us in our small group about this. And I found it so interesting. Uh, and so I, I asked her if she would go on. So she came on Zoom with me. And she did a little teaching like she would with her class. 
So, are you, <laughs> and it's for, it's, this is how she teaches her kids in her, in her class, but I also found it helpful for me. So take, take what you will from that. So watch this with me as Angela teaches us about red brain and blue brain. So we're gonna use our hand today to model our brain. So a brain has many parts to it, but we're just gonna think about it as having two parts. So it has the blue part, which is the big outside part of your brain. And that's the thinking part of your brain. It helps you to think, make decisions. It helps you be rational and logical. It helps you learn things and process things. And the inside of the brain, this very small part here is the red brain. And that part of the brain holds all of our emotions, our happy emotions and our angry emotions and everything in between. This part, the science word is called the prefrontal cortex, but we'll just call it blue brain. And the little inside part there is called the amygdala, but we'll just call it red, red brain. So why is it important to understand this? Because we need to have our thinking brain on when we're making decisions. Sometimes when we can't make a decision, the reason is because we have flipped our lid. So when we flip our lid, it means our red brain has taken over. All of our emotions are taking over and controlling us. So this part of the brain causes a reaction. This part of the brain helps us think and decide what to do. So why is this important? Well, this part of the brain actually helps to keep you safe. So this is the part of the brain that would keep you safe when a grizzly bear is chasing after you. This is our fight or flight response. So this part of our brain says that, uh-oh, here comes a bear. You need to run away or you need to fight it. That's what that part of the brain's gonna do. You don't have time to think about how you're gonna stay safe from the bear. That brain, part of your brain just takes over and either does a fight or flight reaction. That can be helpful when you're chased by a bear. It's not helpful to have an emotional reaction or flip your lid when there's a problem. So if you are having an argument with a friend, you don't wanna flip your lid because that fight or flight response is gonna make you either fight with them. And that when I say fight, I mean maybe a physical fight, you might hit them or push them, but sometimes we fight with our words and we say mean things that we regret later. So we don't want that to happen. So how do we prevent ourselves from doing that? When we feel like we're starting to lose some energy, this is where we need to stop and we need to pause and keep this blue brain, this thinking and decision-making decision part of our brain on. So how do we do that? We pause, we take a breath, sometimes we walk away from the situation, but we need some time to allow our brain to think about how to respond. We don't want our brain to react. We don't wanna flip our lid and do something we regret. So we need to pause, take a breath, walk away, need some time to think about how I'm gonna react. Don't let yourself lose so much energy and get so upset that you flip your lid and say or do something that you regret. So we're gonna keep our blue brain on as much as we can. We're gonna stay calm and we're gonna keep all of our energy for decision-making. So good, right? 
So she's teaching us this in our small group, and I was like, somehow I have to find a way to share this. And so all these weeks later, I'm able to share that with you. And that's only part of it. Like, we, we had a great conversation on Zoom after this about just different ways to, you know, what that means to keep your energy. There's lots of resources. So we'll probably end up being able to share those with you this week on our socials or in our Connecting Point group or that kind of thing. So lots of good resources, especially for parents, but also for the grown-ups too, right? So, so there's lots of good stuff in there. The science around this is so fascinating. I like how Angela said that. The science word is, right? The science around our brains is so interesting, isn't it? Um, And like I told you, you are awesome. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, scripture says. You have the the capability of applying these principles that Angela was just talking about um, and experiencing some real change in your life. You really can. You can find a way to um, really apply this and learn these principles and it will help you so much in your life if you increase your EQ. We know that that's true. Like from studies that have been done, we know it's true. And it's a very good thing that that is true because, friends, we live in a very red brain world, don't we? (laughs) I wish I had Angela's glove. Uh, We live in a very red brain world. Such, and people are angry. People are angry. We know that. Uh, My friend Nicole told me a story last year, near the beginning of the pandemic, that she was trying to return a cart to food basics, but they didn't have outdoor cart things. So she was just, there was a lineup to get into the grocery store. Remember that? Thankfully, we don't have to do that super often anymore. So she was just waiting for a break in the people so that she could just bring the cart back in to be re-sanitized and whatever, just trying to be a good citizen and all that kind of thing. But the gentleman who was at the front of the line thought she was trying to butt in the line and lost it on her. And if you ask her about it right now, she's probably writing in the comments right now. Um, if you ask her about it a year later, it's still traumatizing. Like she's just like, I asked her about this because I said, I want to I wanna mention this in my message. Is that okay? Do I have the story right? And she's like, I got like 17 text messages about it again. It was like, it was still traumatizing because you just never know in your day when you are going to encounter a red-brained person, right? That something is happening. Obviously it had nothing to do with Nicole. She didn't know this gentleman. She just happened to be in that place where she was the target of somebody else's anger. It happens all the time. We probably all have stories like that where we find ourselves dodging some bullet that we we didn't know about or we become the target of somebody's anger for some unknown reason. And truthfully, we've also probably perpetuated that in some way in our lives. We're not perfect. Um, Sometimes we put someone else in our sights unreasonably, don't we? And so in a world with uh, hashtag all the feelings... (laughs) all the feelings. How do we find peace? How do we find peace when you could be lambasted just for trying to return the cart at Food Basics? Like, how do you find peace in such an angry world? Do we just increase our EQ? Work really hard on that? Hope other people do the same thing and then kind of aim for a more peaceful world? I mean, sure, go ahead. Please do that, actually. That would be really good. The more people who are increasing their EQ and working on that would be really excellent, of course. But no surprise, because you're here, you're tuned into Freedom Church online, there's more. <laughs> there's, there's so much more that we can find in Scripture. Remember that Jesus said this, this is our guiding verse for this whole series, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. So how do we find peace in an angry world. Well, I want you to turn with me to a familiar passage of scripture for for many of you, even if you didn't, you don't have a lot of church experience, this is probably a familiar passage called the Beatitudes. Uh, Pastor Ethan mentioned it last week. 
And this was part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a real beautiful teaching, uh, like extended teaching that Jesus did that was recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to pick up a few of these Beatitudes in here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. So you can turn there with me. If you haven't already, YouVersion app has these already loaded for you. So YouVersion, click on more, click on events. You can find this morning's event. And then these scriptures are already loaded there for you. And you can take your own notes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Simple, beautiful. And if you grew up in the church, you might think I said it wrong. It's not blessed. I don't know why we said blessed. We would never say, like, there's no reason to pronounce it that way. But we do. Does it sound more spiritual if we say blessed? Okay. But really, so if I, if I use it, if I say it differently both ways, it's because I grew up in the church, but I also, I don't say that in my regular life. So blessed are, blessed are. Three, three very simple teachings from Jesus here, but very, very powerful. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This, this is a beautiful word. This is a beautiful word. Uh, for it, and it's, the, it's, it's, it's here in the, in the New Testament, but it's pulling from the Hebrew, this word hased, which is uh, the, the, the main idea in the book of Ruth. It's, it's that idea of mercy. And it's, it's like getting right inside of the head and heart and mind and thoughts of the other person. Like really understanding them. It's not pitying them. It's true sympathy. It's like thinking with their minds and feeling with their feelings and experiencing something that someone else is experiencing. Like really trying to understand them. That's what it means by mercy. That's, this, is the, this is the loving kindness that this, this is uh, talking about. Trying to go through what they're going through so that you can understand something from somebody else's point of view. That's what this word is pulling from. Isn't that great? Um, And as you, of course, know, it's a very rare thing for people to try to do this because it's not a natural thing. We can barely recognize and understand our own emotions, right? So the the thought of really doing this well and trying to understand somebody else does take some effort, some deliberate effort. It's It's working to understand the reason that people think and act like they do. Think about this, though. If you could do this, how much easier would forgiveness be? If you could understand somebody from their point of view more accurately and more often, how much, how much easier would it be to say, oh, wow, yeah, I can see where they're coming from or I can maybe understand why they might react that way and, yeah, I've done the same thing. <laughs> I've been in that same place. And forgiveness becomes a very different process in our hearts and minds. And this, this kind of mercy, this chesed, is exactly what God the Father did in Jesus Christ. This is what God literally got inside the skin of a human being in Jesus in order to do this for us. So when he talks about mercy, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, this is exactly what he modeled in Jesus. And we also know from scripture that we won't receive mercy from God unless we are merciful. It's all over scripture that we have to stay in this place as much as we can in order to receive that same mercy from God. It's it's literally all over scripture. James chapter 2, Matthew 18, Matthew 6, um, 12, and then 14, I think it's, yeah, it's listed there for you. In the Lord Lord's Prayer. 
forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Jesus goes on to give a little commentary too about uh, don't expect to receive forgiveness from God if you can't forgive others. That's all wrapped into the Lord's Prayer. Um, Psalm 18, Proverbs 21, we understand that this is such an important concept to be able to give mercy because we have received mercy and we receive mercy again by giving mercy and keeping this up, understanding this concept. That's the second beatitude here, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In the Greek here, the, this word uh, pure, the, this word pure here is um, katharos. And it really, I love like the, like the word pictures that I was studying. It's like corn being cleaned off of all of its chaff. And it made me really badly want corn season. Is it August yet? Let's do corn season in Ontario. It's like my favorite thing. Uh, so think about a cob of corn being cleaned of all its chaff. That's are the pure in heart. This is the, the idea of pure. This idea of pure also uh, has a, a, a word picture of like an army that has been purged of all the soldiers who are discontented or cowardly or unwilling or, or inefficient in some way, um, and they've been sent away, and all you're left with is the best of the fighting men. That's a, the purity of that. Uh, it's unadulterated. It's unmixed in any way. So this could read, blessed are those who are, whose motives are entirely unmixed, for they will see God. Or blessed are the single-minded who are free from the tyranny of a divided self. So this beatitude, of course, requires self-examination. What does it mean? Or am I pure in heart? Am I unadulterated? Am I unmixed? Am I uh, in my devotion to God? What are my true motives? Because we know that even in doing good things or things that look good to the world around us, we can have motives that don't line up. We can feel superior. We can feel um, self-satisfied. There's a, a lot of things that can be mixed into every single thing that we do. And so this beatitude calls us to reflect on our own hearts and our own motives. But actions that come from a pure heart can stand up under any kind of scrutiny. And there's a sense um, and a measure, uh, one, one commentator said it like this, there's a sense and a measure in which this is true in life here and now. The pure in heart see God in a way that the impure never do. Right, right here in this day, like the more when your heart has been made free by God, when you've been forgiven, you do see him, you start to understand him, you, you, you sense his presence. It's, it's very true. But the main thought is surely eschatological, which I didn't have to say this morning, but it was written, and I wanted you to have this word. Just to, like, I, just, I just dare you to use it some way today. Eschatological is fun to say, and it also is an important word as we study the scriptures because it really just means anything dealing with the final destiny of the soul or the end times or the end of all things, the last things. So eschatological. Certainly um, when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, what he's saying is that is true now. We'll understand and sense the presence of God here and now when our hearts are pure. But also we can be assured that when we have pure hearts before God, being forgiven by Christ and living in that righteousness, we will see him face-to-face -face one day. That's the eschatological. You're welcome. Just use it. Just try it. Just see how it feels. Say it, eschatological. There's a future hope. It's a great word. A third one here, blessed are the peacemakers, who they will be called children of God. Which is a word we've talked about before, obviously, peacemakers. This is where we're landing here on purpose because this word uh, comes from that Hebrew shalom. It's not written in Hebrew here in the original text, but that's the idea that it's pulling from is shalom, which I've mentioned before is not the absence of trouble, but instead it's the presence of all good things. Like the very 
best things for your life. That's what shalom is. It's that kind of peace that's, it, it's everything that's good for you in your life. Um, like, like I said, not freedom from trouble, but enjoyment of all good. And Pastor Ethan said this last week, this is not, um, you notice that Jesus didn't say, blessed are the, those who make peace, or blessed are those, oh, it, <laughs> no, he does say that. That was heresy. Uh, he, he, says, he says, blessed are those who make peace. He does not say, blessed are those who, uh, see I said blessed, are those who keep peace or those who love peace. He said, blessed are those who make peace. When we are, are trying to keep peace, we're probably just piling up trouble for the future, <laughs> sweeping some things under the rug. But someone who makes peace is someone who is actively working to overcome evil with good. You see what needs to be done in the world and you're actively trying to do that. And those who make peace are doing the work of the God of peace, the work that the God of peace is already doing in the world. This, we find this concept everywhere in scripture also. Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 Thessalonians 5, Hebrews 13, some study for you later. The God of peace is at work in the world. And so when we are peacemakers, we are participating in the work that God is already doing. And it's such a beautiful thing. There's a blessing in that life. William Barclay says, most of the early scholars of the church took this beatitude in a purely spiritual sense and held it out to mean blessed are those who make peace in their own hearts and their own souls. True. But Jesus almost certainly meant it in a way that Jewish, the Jewish rabbis used it. That the highest task which anyone can perform is to establish right relationships with other people. The highest task anyone can perform is to establish right relationships with other people. Because why? It imitates the work that the father is doing. A child has the characteristics of their father. A child uh, has characteristics of their mother. You look like your parents for the, for the good, bad, or ugly, in your characteristics, maybe the way you actually physically look, maybe some of your temperaments, you take on the characteristics of your parents. So when you are actively working to make peace, to cooperate with what God is already doing in the world, you take on the characteristics of your Father in heaven. It's interesting that literally, we, you know, we've translated this as children of God so that we understand that it's inclusive of, all, of both genders, except that um, it, in the, it's literally in the language sons of God. And there's a reason that we care about that because when you think about the pr in, in the first century here when, when this was written, this, the privileges of the son, the firstborn son especially, but the sons in a family, the inheritance, um, all, of, all of the things that a son would get uh, it's important that we understand that when we are making peace in the world, that we're actively pursuing that, we become like sons of God, inheriting the incredible things that God has. Blessed, the blessed life is found in the one who is merciful, the one who's pure in heart, the one who makes an effort towards peace in the world around them. In other words, the blessed life is grounded. Let's just bring it to the, a modern front here. The blessed life is grounded in emotional intelligence. But hear me when I say this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, about solitude and stillness and silence. And uh, in that, so in the same way that mindfulness and meditation have value in our lives, uh, 
but meditating on the word and listening to the Holy Spirit and resting in Sabbath have life-transforming value for us. Do you understand the difference? There's, there's the way the world teaches it, which can have some value. But when we do these things in, in the presence of God and under, um, in doing these things in the word, we not just have value, but life-transforming value. In the same way that that was true. Studying and understanding your emotional life or becoming self-aware, that kind of thing, they do have so much value. Ask Angela how much this has transformed her students. This idea of even just understanding how our brains work in a small way. So in the same way that that has a lot of value, inviting the Holy Spirit into the process has life-transforming value. It's sort of like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> That's kind of how I see these concepts. There are some good concepts uh, for sure in these brain science things, but I will tell you this from experience, there is more. Most of the trouble uh, with putting in the effort to understand and manage your emotions is that you are not always going to be at your best. Your energy won't always be there when you need it. You will mess up and hurt somebody. You will do something self-destructive. You will feel like a failure. You're going to want to quit. Why even try anymore? I'm such a failure. I can't do it. I'm never going to be the person that I want to be and whatever. And you're going to want to quit. Because you are amazing. I told you this. You are so amazing, but you are limited. Your willpower is a finite resource. Okay? Make sure that you understand that. You are amazing, but you're limited. The Apostle Paul, uh, you may have heard of him. He was a changed man, if you know his story. He, was used, uh, he used to violently persecute people who believed in Jesus. And then he had a vision from Jesus himself. And then he became an outspoken apostle of Christ. And he turned the world upside down with the message of Christ. And he's sort of like on a pedestal of the Christian faith. He wrote so much of the New Testament in the form of letters to the churches. Um, like he's sort of a big deal. If you've never heard of him, just trust me. He's kind of a big deal. Um, and he, he understood himself. He understood the world around him. Uh, he understood the calling on his life. He had, I would say, a pretty high EQ because he understood all of those things. And here still is what he said in Romans chapter 7. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Whenever I read this, I think, right? And like Paul had it all together from our outside perspective. And still he's saying, this struggle is real every day. Even though I know what I'm doing, I'm sure that I'm in the will of God. Even though I know what my calling is. Even though I know who Jesus is. Even though I've had these incredible experiences, I still know that I am limited in my resources. I can read Goldman's Emotional Intelligence or actually, can we just be real? I read Bradbury's Emotional Intelligence 2.0 because it was shorter and a little bit easier to read. But either way, concepts are the concepts, okay, when it was a little newer. Um, you can learn your, I can learn my Enneagram type, do my Myers-Briggs, do my Berkman, do my DISC assessment, and um, they will add excellent value to my life and be so helpful in my journey of self-awareness and may, it helped me in my work, it helped me in my relationships, and they have, I've done so many of those things, I find them very, very interesting and helpful. But there is a limit on what those things can do for me. I am that limit. <laughs> I can only do so much. I can only change so much. I can only apply my willpower to, to, to such a degree. Those things are only effective if I can live out what I learn from them. 
And so Paul is saying, like, I know a lot of these things. I know so many of these things, but what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of sin and death? But don't worry, that's not where he stops. He says, who will, that was exciting. Got a little pitchy there. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are not alone. You are not responsible to change yourself from the inside out. There is a God who has already done the work that when you cooperate with the power of the Spirit in your life, with his transforming power in your life, there is so much more. What would happen if in the transition from blue brain to red brain, I did more than just breathe deeply, name the emotion I was feeling, and do a calming activity, which, by the way, are all things you probably should do. Those are good concepts. But what if in that moment where I felt like I might be flipping my lid, I invited the spirit of Jesus into those few seconds of pause? And I didn't just keep from flipping my lid, which is good, but in that moment... The spirit of, I asked the spirit of Jesus to show me the root of my issue. To show me the consequence of the action I'm about to take. To show me the world through the eyes of the other person with chesed. To take a moment and, and show me um, as a gentle reminder of all that I've been forgiven of. You see, because of Jesus, I am not a slave to my sinful, selfish behavior anymore. This is what Paul was yelling about in 1 Corinthians 7. I've been set free. I've been forgiven. I've been given a fresh start. I've been given everything I need to be a transformed person. Studies have shown that pausing in a conversation, literally just before you respond, counting to three, very short pauses in a conversation can be extremely helpful and very, very effective for solving problems and getting answers and help in both parties. Again, brain science, so good, so helpful in our lives. But imagine having the power to pause even when you're tired and frustrated. Imagine having more in those moments of pause than the chance for your logic to catch up with your emotion. Imagine in that moment the God of the universe, the one who created you, Psalm 139, knit you together in your mother's womb, knows everything about you, fearfully and wonderfully made you. What if he was able to give you the strength to be calm and wise in that moment? What if he could show you in that moment how to show mercy, to correct your motives, how to make peace, how to overcome your failing willpower because you're tired frustrated and what if in that moment he could give you everything you need to live a godly life and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus friends listen this is literally what it means to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your life to cooperate with what he is already producing what he already is at work doing when you believe in Jesus and follow his teachings we believe that the Holy Spirit who is God comes and takes up residence, like comes and lives in you and then helps you when you call out to him. Simple as that. And I don't, that's not a doctrine that I believe, although it is, but it's like, it's something that I have experienced every day. Every time I call out for help to the Holy Spirit, he helps me. Period. He just, he helps me. It's like what Paul said to Timothy, physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things. 
holding promise both uh, for the, both the present life and the life to come. Isn't that so exciting and such a huge relief? It's such a huge relief that you don't have to do this on your own, with your own strength, with your own, just like more learning and more trying and more failing. But you have someone in your corner helping you every step of the way. He's already living in you. If you've decided to follow Jesus, if you've invited him into your life, he's already there. He's already there. We can take these great ideas. I love the idea of emotional intelligence, but I love even more the idea of inviting the Holy Spirit to walk me through it. And so while we are welcome to study all that we can and, and grow in our EQ, and I hope we will, if we want to have peace in an angry world, we're going to need to tap into the peace that Jesus gives as a gift through the Holy Spirit. We can't do it just with our own willpower. The world tries to give you peace through self-knowledge, but Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit to give you what you need to walk with peace in an angry world. How do you do this each day? Really quickly, uh, some people are saying, this sounds like a great concept. I love the idea of this, but how on earth do I do this? Um, it's, I know it's going to be really individual for each person, but let me just give you a few things that really help me. First of all, start each day with submission. So submission to me is a, a moment of pause before the Lord. It can look like a lot of things. You call it your quiet time, your devotional life. I like to be in the scriptures. I, I follow a reading plan to make sure that I, you know, I, I don't open the scriptures and say, like, I don't know what to read today. Although, if you want to do that and that's helpful to you, great. Uh, I start each day with submission, with, uh, with prayer, with coming quietly, somehow, in some way, in some space, to the Lord. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's closer to an hour. You know, like, whatever, whatever your heart needs that day. Just, and saying, God, this day is yours. This schedule is yours. Every angry person that I'm going to encounter today belongs to you. You created them in your image. And I want to have responses that honor you, that look like you. And I can't do it on my own. So I just submit that to you and ask for your help. Just come, come somehow with that humble spirit each day. I say do it, start each day that way. It has really helped me. I've never been much of an evening devotions person because that's like sleep time. <laughs> so, but if you could do that, whatever. But everyday submission. Secondly, there's a cooperation with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so if you are writing a text or you are in a conversation or you are, you are finding yourself getting worked up in some moment, cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. I will teach this. I, ta I taught it to one of my kids recently. Um, we talk about it in, in some of our courses. But listen, the Holy Spirit is the whole Holy Spirit. So when you have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when you have those things, you think, oh, I gotta grow in patience, or I gotta grow in self-control, I gotta grow whatever. The Holy Spirit, the whole Holy Spirit lives in you, which means all of those things already live in you. And your job is to cooperate with what he's trying to do, like what he's trying to grow in your life. You're not trying to grab new things into your life. He, he is all that you need. So how do you cooperate? So for me, it's those moments of I find myself getting worked up or I want to say something. My, like I'm, I'm great with like a quick, angry retort if I need one, you know. I can be so cuttingly sarcastic. Before that moment hits, you say, Lord, whew, what should I be saying here? Or more appropriately, probably not saying here, right? 
Whatever that moment is, you find yourself getting very stressed at work. Maybe you're, you're driving around and people are, every driver is driving you crazy. Taking a moment and saying, I want to cooperate, Lord, with what you're trying to grow in my life right now. Just pause. What do you want to grow in my life? Um, I want to cooperate with it. So there's, that, there's all through the day moments of pause. <laughs> and then be humble and repent as required. <laughs> repent as required because we're not going to get it right all the time. But being under, like understanding, yeah, that was not, that, that wasn't the appropriate response and being okay with that. And then lastly, just continually evaluating your life in front of the Lord in prayer, in journaling, in matching your life up with scripture and receiving grace. Not beating yourself up every time that you, you mess up, but receiving grace day by day by day and uh, allowing the Lord to do that work of grace in your life. And, and, just, uh, just, and then you wake up tomorrow morning and then you do it again just with a gentleness and a humility before the Lord. Uh, it's not something you're trying to achieve. It's, it's just um, cooperating with what he's already at work doing in your life. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Lord Jesus, would you do a work in our hearts? All of us are at different places in our lives. We are struggling with different kinds of things, but we recognize that we live in a world that is really angry. And we recognize the anger in our own lives, the frustration, the things that make um, we make targets out of people or different situations. Lord, we ask that you would increase our emotional intelligence and in that process, we would learn to go beyond that and to cooperate with what the Spirit would want to do in our lives every single day. God, I ask that you would help us to receive grace for our failures so that we could walk on in freedom and learn and grow and and be brought to maturity in Christ as we follow in his footsteps the best we can. Help us to be humble and aware. And most of all, Lord, help us to hear the voice of the Spirit every day in every situation and trust that you will speak, that you are present, and that you have a peace for us that doesn't look like the way the world tries to give peace, but you've given us what we need so that we don't have to be afraid in the world that we walk through every day. We just so are so grateful for it. We love you so much, and we worship you with our lives and surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.